Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. Uh, more specifically, let me welcome you to Christmas at Crossroads. It's hard to believe that Thanksgiving was a little later this year, and we just jump right into Christmas. We went from pumpkin spice to chocolate mint. You know what I'm saying? And it's so good. But let me welcome you. We're excited that you're here. Let me also welcome those who are joining us online via Facebook Live. A lot of people start traveling early in December. So there's a lot of hit and miss during the first couple of weeks of December. And then everybody kind of lands at their place uh, around the end of the month or the middle of the month. So we want to welcome those who are joining us online and also say to them, as I'll say to you guys who have your smartphone in your hand, the Titans don't play today. So you don't even need to be trying to keep updated with that, I don't think. So uh, if you will, share the feed from our Facebook page to your Facebook page. So again, if you can do that really quick and maybe make a comment where you're listening from or where you're watching from, whether that's in the auditorium or at your home or in Seaside or wherever you are. We have people watch from all over the place. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from because today we officially start a three-part series that we call Christmas at Crossroads. Let me also say this. Today is the day that I saw many of you to bring your boxes back for the 100 Box Project. Uh, if you did not remember that and you forgot, uh, you can bring it later today and just put it at the door, and I'll be checking. A couple of us will be checking off and on over the next several days, and we'll get those in if you leave them at the door. And here's the bottom line. If somebody steals it from the door, they needed it worse than we did, right? So we'll just let them have it, but that's never happened. So again, uh, if worse comes to worse or push comes to shove, you can bring it next Sunday. We'll still have some needs that we're going to fill, but we wanted to kind of get them in as early this year as we could. So again, most of you, if you brought them today, uh, again, uh, thank you for doing that. But for the rest of you, if you want to bring it sometime this week, leave it at the door or next Sunday, uh, we'll take care of that. Let me ask you a question. What is the one thing that can ruin your day? I mean, when you get up in the morning, what's the one thing that will absolutely, unequivocally run, ruin your day? I mean, is it being late? Is it uh, you can't find your smartphone? You can't find uh, 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 the coffee? You can't find the creamer? Uh, your, your, the traffic? Maybe it's uh, going down West Main in front of Kroger. Can anybody say amen to that? Oh, my gosh. I think we're about done with that, though. I mean, what, what is it that absolutely ruins your day? Now, take that one step further, and let me ask you the next question. What is it that absolutely would ruin your holiday? You go to Best Buy, and all the flat screens that are on sale are gone. Does that ruin your holiday? You go to Dunkin' Donuts, and they don't have the seasonal beverage available for you. They're out of it. Or they're closed because they don't have any help. I mean, what is it ab that absolutely ruins your holiday? Your flight gets canceled, sickness. Maybe your holiday would be ruined because your family can't make it. Or maybe your holiday is ruined because your family can make it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> there are lots of things that can ruin the holidays for us. But for most of us, I think we would say that the thing that would ruin it for us, it, it's always something that seems to just pop up unexpectedly. It's something in life that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And that happened to our family a couple of years ago, not at Christmas, but on a vacation. We, we a lot of times, like many of you, go to uh, Seaside or down in Florida around October and uh, I think it was about three years ago we went, and when we did, nobody had told us, but we got there, and the beach was open, but the water was closed because of a riptide. And they said, you know, the red flags, you can't get in the water. You can get on the beach, but you can't get in the water. And they said they're just having all these riptides. And, and again, I don't know a lot about riptides. And, and again, I didn't even Wikipedia this. I didn't even look it up. I, I, but here's the thing I know about a riptide. A riptide is this undercurrent that, that, you know, if you actually get in the water, the, the riptide will actually, if you don't know exactly how to swim and, and to do the right things, that the riptide will pull you under. And not only will it pull you under, it will take you to the bottom and just kind of continuously beat you against the bottom of the ocean floor until ultimately you end up drowning. And, and, and see, I thought about that, and it made me think that, you know, 
if most of us live long enough, we're going to experience those same kinds of riptide events in life. They're just going to happen. I mean, maybe we enter a, a, a really tough season of life and, and, and we get hit with this amazing amount of depression. Maybe it's, it, it, it's uh, a job loss. Maybe you go to the doctor and you get some news, some bad news. Or maybe that riptide event in your life is you find yourself worrying about your kids or you find yourself worrying about money. I mean, most of us, I think we would admit that we would really like to go to a place where those riptide kinds of things in life didn't happen to us. But the truth is, there's not a place like that. There's no place on this earth where you're not going to experience those riptide kind of events in your life. You just can't escape them. As a matter of fact, Jesus had something to say about that. And I want you to read it with me in John chapter 16, verse 33, because these are the words of Jesus, and this is what he said about those kind of things that are going to happen in your life. He said, I have told you all of this so that you have, may have peace in me. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, I think Jesus cut to the quick. I mean, Jesus cut right to the chase. And he just told you, and he told me that those are going to happen. Those riptide kinds of things are going to happen in your life. But even though those things would happen, he told us that he would give us peace right in the middle of whatever that riptide event is in your life. And think about that. When you go through something like one of those events, isn't that what we all need? Don't we all need peace? I know that I do. I need the kind of peace that isn't dependent on my circumstances. I need the kind of peace that, that isn't peace in the smooth waters. But see, here's the thing I need. I need peace in the chaos. And that peace in the chaos is the exact peace that Jesus promises. In, in just a moment, we're going to look at something, and, and, and it's, it's really interesting because what we're about to look at is something that most all of you in this auditorium, most of you watching online, you're very familiar with this, especially if you've been in any kind of recovery group, a Celebrate Recovery, AA, uh, there are numerous recovery groups. But if you've been in one of those groups and not even in one of those groups, you've heard of something that I call and that is called the serenity prayer. I mean, most everybody in this room knows about the serenity prayer. And, and, and really, the, ser the serenity prayer is this spiritual tool that helps you focus on the kind of peace that only Jesus can give you when you experience one of those riptide events in your life. So I thought it would, might be a great idea to just take this serenity prayer and let's just, over the month of December, when we're around the people that we love and the people that we love that we don't love, does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we, we just kind of incorporate this serenity prayer into what I would say is going to be a very hectic holiday schedule. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want us all one time to just, you read it off the screen, and we're going to say this together. Start with me now. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
December 5th, December 12th, December 19th. We're going to spend those three weeks drilling down on those three words that you see capitalized. Serenity, courage, and wisdom. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to take the Christmas story. And we're going to kind of dive in deep to the Christmas story. And within the Christmas story, we're going to find people whose lives modeled those three words. In other words, if we take the time to look at their life, their life actually fleshed out those three words, serenity or courage or wisdom. And this morning, our focus is going to be on serenity. And again, here's the, here's the thing I would say this morning, because I always like to speak to kind of where, speak from where I am. Serenity is just not a word that I use a lot. I mean, it's, it's not a word that I would say a lot. So uh, it kind of made me think that I wanted to ask you when, you, when you hear the word serenity, what is it that actually comes to your mind? When you hear somebody say the word serenity, what, what do you actually think of? See, I don't know what you would think of. Because I really didn't know what I would think of when I heard the word. But you have to understand that, that serenity is, is not something that is based on your circumstances. Serenity is, is not a word that you can just kind of go, you know, when you're going through those rough riptide events, serenity, 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 and everything calms down. It, it, that's not the way serenity works. Because here's the deal. Serenity is a byproduct of knowing who your life is anchored to before you experience one of those riptide events in your life. Serenity is actually knowing to whom your life is anchored to before you actually experience one of those riptide events in your life. Again, those riptide things are, are, just, are just things that, that come out of nowhere. And when those things happen, that is the moment that you need to know where your life is anchored. Now, now going back to the serenity prayer, most of us know that first part that we said together that you saw on the screen just a moment ago, because that's the, po that's the part of the prayer that most people quote. And like I said a while ago, that's going to be our focus over the next three weeks. But even though that part of the prayer is our focus, I want you to see the entire prayer. And, and, and you're not going to have to say it. You, you're just going to see it behind me as I actually read it to you. Because here's what the entire prayer says. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship, some of you really need to think about that right there, as a pathway to peace. Taking as he did the sinful, wor the sinful world as it is not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I may be reasonably, and somebody really needs to think about that that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. So here's the thing. During this Christmas season, we're going to go on an adventure. And, I, and honestly, I just really want to call it a serenity adventure. And knowing that we're drilling down on those words, and today specifically, we're drilling down on the word serenity, it means that we're going to look at and talk about the things that we cannot change. What does it mean to accept the things that we cannot change? So we're going to go to the Christmas story, 
And out of that story, we're going to pull one of the characters, and the character that we're looking at this morning is Mary. And we want to look at some of the things that Mary experienced. We want to look at some of the the challenges that Mary went through. And then here's what I'm going to really kind kind of charge you to do. I want you to take the things that we look at that Mary actually had to deal with in her own life, and I want you to lay that over your life and really think, well, what does that mean to me? How could those things that Mary experienced in her life, how could those actually apply to me and to my life? Now, at the beginning of her story, which we find in the book of Luke, this is where we find that God has sent the angel Gabriel to Mary to talk to her, to tell her, to announce. And here's what it says. Look, look, look at Luke 1, verse 31. Here's what it says. Luke 1, verse 31. Let me get back over here. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The angel has spoken to Mary to announce to her, this is what's about to happen. And most of us would think, you know, that Mary would be over there. Yes, yes. I'm going to get to be the mother of God. People throughout the generations are going to revere my name, Mary. Hail Mary, mother of grace. I mean, think about it. I'm even going to have a touchdown pass named after me. My face will be recognized by every woman for generations until the Kardashians show up. So at first she gets excited. But then look at what it says in Luke 1, verse 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. See, here's the mistake that you make, because it's the same mistake that I make. We make the mistake of thinking that the Bible characters that we read about, that they actually knew what we know by looking at them. But they didn't know what was going to happen. So Mary finds herself at first in this moment. And you know that after she, she had heard the words of the angel, she had to say, oh, 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 like what is about to happen to me? Soren Kierkegaard has a quote that I think totally applies to where Mary found herself. Look, look, at, look at this quote. He said, life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forwards. So Mary finds herself in that moment. The angel has spoken to her what was about to happen. And you just have to believe that Mary in that moment prays, God help me. Help me to accept the things that I cannot change. Because here's her condition. Her condition was that she's a young woman engaged to be married. And she's pregnant. And Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, know that Joseph is not the father of the child. So in that culture in which Joseph and Mary would live, Mary would be regarded as an adulteress. And that's according to the Torah because the Torah is what actually governed that culture. And history tells us, I mean, all you have to do is do a little reading, that that Joseph was a big follower of the Torah. And the punishment for adultery in that culture was that the woman who was the adulteress was to be stoned to death. 
And if Joseph made the choice not to kill her by stoning her to death, then he would be required by law not to marry her. So at best, when she hears what the expectation would be, that she's going to be ostracized by her little village, that she's going to be raising her son alone because, again, Joseph was not supposed to marry her. And that this son that she was going to have was going to be taunted by his, his friends and by people around him as an illegitimate child. And that he would be excluded from the synagogue. She didn't know how things would happen, how things would turn out. But of course we do. We know how the story turns out. We know how it turned out, but Mary had no idea. So Mary has to live in the space of not understanding how things are going to turn out. So this is like her very first experience with what I call a riptide event. It's the first riptide event that Mary had in her life. And it's amazing how she responded. Look at Luke 1, verse 38. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm Mary's saying, I'm not sure how this is all going to turn out. But God, because you have chosen me, God, give me, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Now, again, if you know anything about the story, then you know that after Mary has some time to think about all this, she starts to sing about it. I mean, the, the, the story tells us that once Mary really ponders all of these things in her heart, she, she enters into this amazing time of worship. And, and, and look at what it says in Luke 1, verse 45. It says, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly. I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing with the song of my Savior God. God took one, look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. And you can read that whole song in Luke chapter 1. Because Mary is just a grateful woman who says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that are going to happen in my life. You know, one of the most recognized verses in the whole story is found in Luke chapter 2. It's, it's just after the shepherds have left Joseph and Mary are sitting there in that less than appealable birthing suite, which is really a, a cave that's carved out on limestone just on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It said, but Mary treasured all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. I mean, think about it. In the midst of the unexpected, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the road trip that she and Joseph had had to take and the less than perfect accommodations, Mary just sat there in that cave and soaked in the moment. And she pondered what was happening to her at that time in her life. She wasn't worried about the past. She's not worried about the future. But in that moment, she sits there and she unwraps the present. And in that moment, she is filled with serenity. Someone shared something with me that was written by Fred, Frederick Bigner. 
And I want you to see this quote behind me, but I'm going to read it to you. Here's what he says. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it. No less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the final analysis, all moments of your life are key moments. And life itself, grace. After Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary take him to the temple to be dedicated. And, and, and when they take him to the temple to be dedicated, there is an old man there named Simeon. And Simeon takes the baby. Simeon takes Jesus. And, and, and Simeon has Jesus in his hand. And, 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 and Simeon praises God for Jesus. And Simeon blesses Jesus. And then in that same moment, Simeon prophesies this great destiny over this baby. And again, it's like a baby dedication here. You know, we, we, we do it a little different than other churches. We don't do it as a part of a service. It's its own service here. Everybody comes in, the family, the parents, the grandparents. We set up tables. We have refreshments. We have all kinds of things. And everybody is wearing their Sunday afternoon best when they come in for a baby dedication because that's the thing they want to give to their child. Everybody wants to do the best for the baby that God has given them. And, and no doubt that was the same for Joseph and Mary. But Simeon blesses and prophesies over Jesus. And then Simeon does something that's very interesting as a part of the story. Simeon pulls Mary aside. This is probably something you never knew. But Simeon pulls Mary aside. And he addresses Mary by herself. We, we don't know exactly how it happened. But we know that Simeon didn't tell Joseph. He didn't tell the rest of the family. He didn't tell any of the friends. But he pulled Mary aside. And this is what he says. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, you need to know, you need to understand that this little baby that you have been blessed to bring into this world, this baby is the hope of the world. And you're blessed to be the one to bring him into the world. But you need to understand, raising this baby that God has given you, it's not going to be easy, Mary, because a riptide is coming. A sword will pierce your own soul too. And I just have to believe that in that moment, that Mary had to wonder, what could that mean? What could it mean what this old man said to me? But even though she wondered what it might mean, I think Mary said, let it be. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. There are lots of things that Mary's not going to be able to change. You see, Mary had to accept financial hardship. In Israel, a woman was offered a perfect lamb for a sacrifice for the birth of her child. But in the law, there was an exception that said if you cannot afford a lamb, that you were to bring two young doves or two young pigeons. And again, if you read the entirety of the Christmas story, you start to see that Joseph and Mary, they could not afford a lamb. So I think we start to get the picture. All these babies in their gowns with their lambs. But if you were poor, you had to go to the two doves line or the two pigeons line. 
I mean, think about it, mothers. Every mother aches for the best for their child. And this baby was Jesus. But it was all that she could afford. Again, I think Mary prayed, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I can't change. She would also have to accept the death of her dreams. I mean, think about it. Every one of you in this room, those watching online, every person that's a parent, when you gave birth to a child or when you adopted a child, you had dreams for that child. I mean, you, you naturally thought of the, of, of the houses that you're going to live in, the, the color of the rooms that they would call their own room, the school that they would go to, all of their friends, all of the sports that they would play. But because of an evil, jealous king, Mary and Joseph had to live as refugees, and they had to go to Egypt. Their dreams for Jesus, in a way, they died. Have you ever had a dream die? I know quite a few people right now who are dealing with the death of a dream. The picture of their life is not what they dreamed it would be. It's not close to or uh, anything they could have imagined their life to be. They look at what's happening to them and their career and their life and their health, and, and, it, and it's not anything that they would have ever pictured would have happened to them. And you have to know that their prayer is the very same prayer that, that Mary prayed, Oh God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Mary would also have to accept her ability to control other people especially Jesus. You've heard the story that when Jesus turns 12 years old, they take him back to Jerusalem, back to the temple. I mean, they're traveling with their family in this big group of people going back to the temple, and they have one of those home alone moments. Remember, Kevin! But this time it's with Jesus. They realize that Jesus isn't with them. And not only is Jesus not with them, he hasn't been with them for three days. Any of you parents ever lost a kid? Been in Walmart, they were right behind you and all of a sudden they're gone? Been to the park and they were right beside you and all of a sudden you can't find them? It's a terrible experience. Because your heart just sinks and you lose the ability to focus. But what if you're a parent and you lost the Son of God? I mean, I have to question their parental skills. But they go back and find Jesus at the temple. At 12 years old, Jesus is in the temple teaching the scholars about his heavenly Father. So he made the personal decision that at 12 years old, he was just going to stay behind for a few days. And here's what's interesting. Again, you may not know this part of the story. It's not Joseph who speaks up about it. It's Mary who speaks up. I want you to look at what she says in Luke 2, verse 48. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I mean, for those that are in the room that are parents, any of you have ever, ever had to say anything like that to your kids? Well, Jesus, in a, in a, in a, in a metaphorical way, responds to that. He says, Mom, my, my heavenly father has given me things to do. And I just need to do those things. And again, maybe in that moment, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she just sighs and says, Oh God, grant me the serenity 
to accept the things that I cannot change. Mary's not the only person that would have to deal with that. I mean, what do I do when I can't control the people in my life? What do I do when my kids grow up and they're making all these decisions? And they're not doing things the way that I would do those things. I'll tell you what you do. You stop and you pray. Oh God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot control. Well, Jesus grows up and Jesus becomes a man and Jesus begins his public ministry. And you just kind of have to know that that's the very thing that Joseph and Mary had been waiting for for 30 years. I mean, she's so excited in the early years of Jesus' life to watch him go out with his father Joseph and they would go out and they would build furniture and they would build buildings. They would frame up things. But now she gets to watch her son as he begins his public ministry He's not framing buildings. He's framing the lives of the people around him. But then word gets back to Mary. That Jesus is out here beginning that public ministry. And in that public ministry, he's doing some really strange, some very unconventional, some very uh, radical stuff. I mean, I mean, she starts to hear, people start to tell her that, I mean, Mary, your son's out here. He's breaking the Sabbath. He's been out there touching people who are lepers. He's hanging out with somebody who hasn't been vaccinated. And they're not wearing a mask. He's been eating with notorious sinners and tax collectors. The family even hears that he's gone to this forbidden place called Samaria where he's been talking with the outcast women. Mary, your son, even let a prostitute wash his feet with her tears. And Mary, his latest battle, he's battling with the demons. See, there was a different narrative, just like we have a narrative in our country and in our world today. But the narrative then was that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would rid Israel of all those sinners. But instead, here's Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's my kind of man. He's out partying with the sinners. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21. When Jesus' family heard what he was doing, they thought he was crazy, and they went to get him under control. What do we call that today? An intervention. They went to do an intervention, and the intervention included his mother Mary. See, Mary started to hear these things, and, and Mary has started to wonder about that baby that she put in the manger. She's starting to think based on the things that she's hearing. Is, is, is that baby of mine starting to, to break down? Does he have mental issues or, or maybe he's working too hard? So the family goes out and they find Jesus and they find him because they want to take him back home. But in the moment that they find him, Jesus has just cast out demons And now, in this moment, he's teaching in a house. And some of those people in the house, they recognize that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is outside to see Jesus. And not only is she there, some of his brothers are with her. And I don't think that Jesus was being disrespectful to his mother Mary. 
But in a roundabout way, let me just paraphrase this. Jesus hears that Mary and his brothers are outside, and Jesus' response was kind of like, well, you know, whoever does God's will is my mother and my brother. He wasn't being disrespectful at all. But he wanted everybody in that house that he was teaching to know and to understand that if you believe in God and you follow God, that we're all family. But I'm not sure that that's the way that Mary heard it. Because you know that in that moment when he said that, that again, she had to lean into prayer and she said, oh God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And that's the last time we would see Mary until the very end when Jesus is being crucified and Jesus' best friend, John, who ends up taking care of the mother of Jesus. This is what he writes in John chapter 19, verse 25. He said, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Mothers, can you imagine what it would be like to be the mother of Jesus in that moment? There's your son hanging on a cross. And you just have to wonder, did the disciples of Jesus try to take her somewhere safe where she wouldn't have to see and hear the terrible things that were about to happen to her son? Did they try to take her so that she wouldn't have to listen to the suffering of the boy that was promised to her by an angel? That baby that she carried in her womb? That little baby that she wrapped in rags at night and she laid him in a manger? Because now she's standing helplessly in front of that same body that she had changed and fed and rocked and bathed and clothed and loved. And on that cross, it's her boy. And he's beaten and he's whipped and he's nailed to a Roman cross. And he's left on that cross to die. And you know what I believe? That's the moment that she remembered what that old man had said at the dedication of Jesus in the temple. A sword will pierce your side too. Now it all started to make sense. And see, I want you to hear what I'm saying. If, if you don't know this, if you live long enough, you're going to figure out that it's going to be more than a riptide that hits your life. It'll be more than a riptide that hits your life. It'll be a sword that pierces your soul. You're going to have somebody in your life that you love, and you will do anything you can to help them. But regardless of what it is you do, you just can't help them. You're going to have somebody in your life who is going to say a word or make a choice that will define your future in ways that you could never dream. A sword will pierce your soul. And in those moments, we cry out, Oh God, please grant me the serenity to accept the things that I ch cannot change. God, give me that one thing that I cannot manufacture on my own because I need your peace. I need your hope. I need something. I need someone that I can anchor my life to. And here's the good news. We have that. It's the same thing that would give Mary serenity in her wounded soul 
Because three days later, when Jesus would rise from the dead, Mary would get to see her boy again. And that's when she begins to understand the very foundation of serenity. That there is this good and trustworthy God who can handle anything. The God of the cross is the God of the empty tomb. And just like Jesus said, in this world you will have pain. In this world you will have sorrow. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And so if you believe in me, you will live forever. And in the meantime, as you live your life in the middle of those riptide moments, between now and eternity, in the middle of those sword-piercing moments, I'm going to give you the peace. That kind of peace that transcends human understanding. And that kind of peace. That kind of peace that only Jesus can give you. That's the peace that will sustain you when your dream dies. That's the peace that will sustain you when you can't control the outcome. That's the peace that will sustain you when disappointment comes crashing down in your life and a sword pierces your soul. Because you can find serenity in the fact that he's with you. I want you to go with me on this because I, I wonder if Mary nodded her head later on when she would hear the writings of the Apostle Paul. When he said this in Romans 8, 18, here, here, here's what he said. Again, we know this wasn't written when Mary was here, but, you know, again, kind of go with me and, you know, just wonder, even in eternity, was she aware that Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to what is waiting for us in glory. I wonder if she said amen when she read 2 Corinthians. And this is what Paul wrote. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that, life, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Father, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Mary's boy, God's son, has made a way to rise above the riptides to rise above the disappointments of life. And people, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This life is not all that there is. This life that you're living right now is just a minute fraction of eternity. And because of Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in a perfect pain-free, sword-free kind of existence. So maybe while we're here, we just need to learn to say, God, would you just give me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change? 
I'm the Lord's servant. God, may it be so in my life. God, my life is in your hands. So I'm just going to treasure these moments. And in these moments, even as difficult as they may be, I'm just going to sing with gratitude. Instead of regretting a past that I can't fix or being worried about a future that I can't control, God, I'm just going to trust you. And I'm just going to trust your heart. Because in doing that, I will find serenity now. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? God, all across this room and even online, whether they're listening or watching, are many people who have experienced over these last 18, 19, 20 months the death of a dream the loss of a relationship, of a job, a career, of something that has happened to them and to their life. Disappointments, discouragements, things that were out of their control. And God, they need a peace that passes understanding. They need to understand and to know that even in the midst of the disappointment and the discouragement, that things are going to be okay. And God, this morning we're encouraged to know and to accept that that peace is found only in Jesus. He's the one who will make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. He's the foundation of the serenity that we need when we have to accept the things that we cannot change. So my prayer, God, this morning is that as we go into this holiday season and as we focus on this serenity prayer, that at the end of the month, we'll come out of this with a peace that passes understanding, with an ability to navigate the rough waters, because that's what we need. We don't need peace in the smooth waters. We need peace in the difficult waters to understand that even in the difficulty, Everything's going to be fine. God, would you speak to your people? Would you lead your people? Would you strengthen your people? Would your hand rest on them, even in the difficult places they find themselves? As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name, amen.